Book Six, Chapter Twelve of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Bellwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Twelve Traits of Eccentricity. Thus passed the first eight days of the Tunbridge excursion, and another week succeeded without any varying event. Mrs. Albury, now impelled with concern for Camilla and resentment against Edgar, renewed the subject of her opinion and advice upon his character and conduct. "'My dear young friend,' cried she, "'I cannot bear to see your days, your views, your feelings thus fruitlessly consumed.' i have observed this young man narrowly and i am convinced he is not worth your consideration camilla deeply colouring was beginning to assure her she had no need of this counsel but mrs arlbury not listening continued i know what you must say yet once more i cannot refrain from venturing at the liberty of lending you my experience turn your mind from him with all the expedition in your power or its peace may be touched for the better half of your life you do not see he does not perhaps himself know how exactly he is calculated to make you wretched he is a watcher and a watcher restless and perturbed himself infests all he pursues with uneasiness he is without trust and therefore without either courage or consistency to-day he may be persuaded you will make all his happiness to-morrow he may fear you will give him nothing but misery yet it is not that he is jealous of any other tis of the object of his choice he is jealous lest she should not prove good enough to merit it such a man after long wavering and losing probable happiness in the terror of possible disappointment will either die an old bachelor with endless repinings at his own lingering fastidiousness or else marry just at the eve of confinement for life from a fit of the gout he then makes on a sudden the first prudent choice in his way a choice no longer difficult but from the embarrassment of its ease for she must have no beauty lest she should be sought by others no wit lest others should be sought by herself and no fortune lest she should bring with it a taste of independence that might curb his own will when the strength and spirit are gone with which he might have curbed hers camilla attempted to laugh at this portrait but mrs albury entreated her to consider it as faithful and exact you have thought of him too much cried she to do justice to any other or you would not with such perfect unconcern pass by your daily increasing influence with sir sedley clarendell excessively and very seriously offended camilla earnestly besought to be spared any hints of such a nature i know well cried she how repugnant to seventeen is every idea of life that is rational let us therefore set aside in our discussions anything so really beneficial as a solid connection formed with a view to the worldly comforts of existence 
and speak of Sir Sedley's devoirs merely as the instrument of teaching Mandelbert that he is not the only rich and handsome young man in this lower sphere who has viewed Miss Camilla Tyrold with complacency. Clarendel, it is true, would lose every charm in my estimation by losing his heart, for the earth holds nothing comparable for deadness of weight with a poor soul really in love, except when it happens to be with oneself, yet to alarm the selfish irresolution of that impenetrable Mandelbear, I should really delight to behold him completely caught. Camilla, distressed and confused, sought to parry the whole as raillery, but Mrs. Arlberry would not be turned aside from her subject and purpose. "'I languish, I own,' cried she, "'to see that frozen youth worked up into a little sensibility. I have an instinctive aversion to those cold, haughty, drawing-back characters who are made up of the egotism of looking out for something that is wholly devoted to them, and that has not a breath to breathe that is not a sigh for their perfections.' "'Oh, this is far,' Camilla began, meaning to say, far from the character of Mandelbear, but, ashamed of undertaking his defence, she stopped short, and only mentally added, "'Even excellence such as his cannot then withstand prejudice.' "'If there is any way,' continued Mrs. Arlberry, "'of animating him for a moment out of himself, it can only be by giving him a dread of some other.' The poor major does his best, but he is not rich enough to be feared, unless he were more attractive. Sir Sedley would seem more formidable. Continence, therefore, his present propensity to wear your chains till Mandelbert perceives that he is putting them on, and then mount to the rising ground you ought to tread, and shew at once your power and your disinterestedness by turning from the handsome baronet and all his immense wealth to mark, since you are determined to indulge it, your unbiased preference for Mandelbert. Camilla, irresistibly appeased by a picture so flattering to all her best feelings and dearest wishes, looked down, angry with herself to find she felt no longer angry with Mrs. Arlberry. Mrs. Arlberry, perceiving a point gained, determined to enforce the blow, and then leave her to her reflections. Mandelbert is a creature whose whole composition is a pile of accumulated punctilios. He will spend his life in refining away his own happiness, but do not let him refine away yours. He is just a man to bewitch an innocent and unguarded young woman from forming any other connection, and yet, when her youth and expectations have been sacrificed to his hesitation, to conceive he does not use her ill in thinking of her no more, because he has entered into no verbal engagement. If his honour cannot be arraigned of breaking any bond, what matters merely breaking her heart? She then left the room, but Camilla dwelt upon nothing she had uttered except the one dear and inviting project of proving disinterestedness to Edgar. Oh, if once, she cried, I could annihilate every mercenary suspicion, if once I could shew Edgar that his situation has no charms for me, and it has none, none, then, indeed, I am his equal, though I am nothing, equal in what is highest, in mind, in spirit, in sentiment. 
From this time the whole of her behavior became colored by this fascinating idea, and a scheme which, if proposed to her under its real name of coquetry, she would have fled and condemned with antipathy, when presented to her as a means to mark her freedom from sordid motives, she adopted with inconsiderate fondness. The sight, therefore, of Edgar, whenever she met him, became now the signal for adding spirit to the pleasure with which already, and without any design, she had attended to the young baronet. Exertion gave to her the gaiety of which solicitude had deprived her, and she appeared, in the eyes of Sir Sedley, every day more charming. She indulged him with the history of her adventure at the house of Mr. Dubster, and his prevalent taste for the ridiculous made the account enchant him. He cast off, in return, all airs of affectation when he conversed with her separately, and though still in all mixed companies they were resumed, the real integrity, as well as indifference of her heart, made that a circumstance but to stimulate this new species of intercourse by representing it to be equally void of future danger to them both. All this, however, failed of its desired end. Edgar never saw her engaged by Sir Sedley, but he thought her youthfully grateful and esteemed her the more, or beheld her as a mere coquette and ceased to esteem her at all. But never for a moment was any personal uneasiness excited by their mutually increasing intimacy. The conversations he had held both with the baronet and herself had satisfied him that neither entertained one serious thought of the other, and he took, therefore, no interest in their acquaintance, beyond that which was always alive, of vigilant concern for the manner in which it might operate upon her disposition. With respect to the major, he was by no means so entirely at his ease. He saw him still the declared and undisguised pursuer of her favor, and though he perceived at the same time she rather avoided than sought him, he still imagined, in general, his acceptance was arranged from the many preceding circumstances which had first given him that belief. The whole of her behavior, nevertheless, perplexed as much as it grieved him, and frequently in the same half-hour she seemed to him all that was most amiable for inspiring admiration and all that was least to be depended upon for retaining attachment yet however from time to time he felt alarmed or offended he never ceased to experience the fondest interest in her happiness nor the most tender compassion for the dangers with which he saw her environed he knew that though her understanding was excellent her temper was so inconsiderate that she rarely consulted it, and that, though her mind was of the purest innocence, it was unguarded by caution and unprotected by reflection. He thought her placed where far higher discretion, far superior experience might risk being shaken, and he did not more fervently wish than internally tremble for her safety." Wherever she appeared, she was sure of distinction. Tis Miss Tyrell, the friend of Mrs. Burlington, was buzzed round the moment she was seen, and the particular favor in which she stood with some votaries of the ton made even her artlessness, her retired education, and her ignorance of all that pertained to the certain circles, passed over and forgiven, in consideration of her personal attractions, her youth, and newness.
Still, however, even this celebrity was not what most he dreaded. So sudden and unexpected an elevation upon the heights of fashionable fame might make her head indeed giddy. But her heart, he thought, formed of materials too pure and too good to be endangered so lightly. And though frequently, when he saw her so circumstanced, he feared she was undone for private life, he could not reflect upon her principles and disposition without soon recovering the belief that a short time might restore her mind to its native simplicity and worth. But another rock was in the way, against which he apprehended she might be dashed, whilst less suspicious of any peril. This rock, indeed, exhibited nothing to the view that could have affrighted any spectator less anxiously watchful, or less personally interested in regarding it. But youth itself, in the fervor of a strong attachment, is as open-eyed, as observant, and as prophetic as age, with all its concomitants of practice, time, and suspicion." this rock indeed far from giving notice of danger by any sharp points or rough prominences displayed only the smoothest and most inviting surface for it was mrs burlington the beautiful the accomplished the attractive mrs burlington whom he beheld as the object of the greatest risk she had to encounter as he still preserved the character with which she had consented to invest him of her monitor, he seized every opportunity of communicating to her his doubts and apprehensions. But, in proportion as her connection with that lady increased, used to her manners and sentiments abated the wonderment they inspired, and they soon began to communicate an unmixed charm that made all other society, that of Edgar alone excepted, heartless and uninteresting." yet in the conversations she held with him from time to time she frankly related the extraordinary attachment of her new friend to some unknown correspondent and confessed her own surprise when it first came to her knowledge edgar listened to the account with the most unaffected dismay and represented the probable danger and actual impropriety of such an intercourse in the strongest and most eloquent terms but he could neither appall her confidence nor subdue her esteem the openness with which all had originally and voluntarily been avowed convinced her of the innocence with which it was felt and all that his exhortations could obtain was a remonstrance on her part to mrs burlington she found that lady however persuaded she indulged but an innocent friendship which she assured her was bestowed upon a person of as much honour as merit and which only with life should she relinquish since it was the sole consolation of her fettered existence edgar to whom this was communicated saw with terror the ascendance thus acquired over her judgment as well as her affections and became more watchful and more uneasy in observing the progress of this friendship than all the flattering devoirs of the gay baronet or the more serious assiduities of the major mrs burlington indeed was no common object either for fear or for hope for admiration or for censure she possessed all that was most softly attractive, most bewitchingly beautiful, and most irresistibly captivating in mind, person, and manners. But to all that was thus most fascinating to others, she joined unhappily all that was most dangerous for herself. 
and heart the most susceptible sentiments the most romantic and an imagination the most exalted she had been an orphan from earliest years and left with an only brother to the care of a fanatical maiden aunt who had taught her nothing but her faith and her prayers without one single lesson upon good works or the smallest instruction upon the practical use of her theoretical piety all that ever varied these studies were some common and ill-selected novels and romances which a young lady in the neighborhood privately lent her to read till her brother upon his first vacation from the university brought her the works of the poets these also it was only in secret she could enjoy but to her juvenile fancy and irregularly principled mind that did not render them more tasteless whatever was most beautifully picturesque in poetry she saw verified in the charming landscapes presented to her view in the part of wales she inhabited whatever was most noble or tender in romance she felt promptly in her heart and conceived to be general and whatever was enthusiastic in theology formed the whole of her idea and her belief with respect to religion brought up thus to think all things the most unusual and extraordinary were merely common and of course she was romantic without consciousness and eccentric without intention nothing steady or rational had been instilled into her mind by others and she was too young and too fanciful to have formed her own principles with any depth of reflection or study of propriety she had entered the world by a sudden and most unequal marriage in which her choice had no part with only two self-formed maxims for the law of her conduct the first of these was that from her early notions of religion no vestal should be more personally chaste the second that from her more recently imbibed ones of tenderness her heart since she was married without its concurrence was still wholly at liberty to be disposed of by its own propensities without reproach and without scruple with such a character where virtue had so little guide even while innocence presided where the person was so alluring and the situation so open to temptation edgar saw with almost every species of concern the daily increasing friendship of camilla yet while he feared for her firmness he knew not how to blame her fondness nor where so much was amiable in its object could he cease to wish that more were right thus again lived and died another week and the fourth succeeded with no actual occurrence but a new change of opinion in mrs arlbury that forcibly and cruelly affected the feelings of camilla uninformed of the motive that occasioned the indifference with which edgar beheld the newly awakened gallantry of sir sedley and the pleasure with which camilla received it mrs arlbury observed his total unconcern first with surprise next with perplexity and finally with a belief he was seriously resolved against forming any connection with her himself this she took an early opportunity to intimate to camilla warmly exhorting her to drive him fast from her mind camilla assured her that no task would be more easy but the disappointment of the project with respect to sir sedley which she blushed to have adopted hurt her in every possible direction coquetry was as foreign to the ingenuousness of her nature as to the dignity of all her early maternal precepts 
she had hastily encouraged the devoirs of the baronet upon the recommendation of a woman she loved and admired but now that the failure of her aim brought her to reflection she felt penitent and ashamed to have heeded any advice so contrary to the singleness of the doctrines of her father and so inferior to the elevation of every sentiment she had ever heard from her mother if edgar had seen her design he had surely seen it with contempt and though his manner was still the most gentle and his advice ever ready and friendly the opinion of mrs albury was corroborated by all her own observations that he was decidedly estranged from her what repentance ensued what severity of regret how did she canvass her conduct how lament she had ever formed that fatal acquaintance with mrs albury who he had so utterly opposed and which seemed eternally destined to lead her into measures and conduct most foreign to his approbation the melancholy that now again took possession of her spirits made her decline going abroad from a renewed determination to avoid all meetings with edgar mrs arlbury felt provoked to find his power thus unabated and sir sedley was astonished he still saw her perpetually from his visits at mount pleasant but his vanity that weakest yet most predominant feature of his character received a shock for which no modesty of apprehension or forethought had prepared him in finding that when he saw her no more in the presence of mandelbert he saw her no more the same she was ready still to converse with him but no particular attention was flattering no desire to oblige was pointed he found he had been merely a passive instrument in her estimation to excite jealousy and even as such had been powerless to produce that effect the raillery which mrs albury spared not upon the occasion added greatly to his pique and his mortification was so visible that camilla perceived it and perceived it with pain with shame and with surprise she thought now for the first time that the public homage he had paid her had private and serious motives and that what she imagined mere sportive gallantry arose from a growing attachment this idea had no gratifying power believing edgar without care for her she could not hope it would stimulate his regard and conceiving she had herself excited the partiality by wilful civilities she could feel only reproach from a conquest unduly unfairly uningeniously obtained in proportion as these self-upbraidings made her less deserving in her own eyes the merits of the young baronet seemed to augment and in considering herself as culpable for having raised his regard she appeared before him with a humility that gave a softness to her look and manners which soon proved as interesting to sir sedley as her marked gaiety had been flattering when she perceived this she felt distressed anew to shun him was impossible as mrs arlbury not only gave him completely the freedom of her house but assiduously promoted their belonging always to the same group and being seated next to each other there was nothing she would not have done to extenuate her error and to obviate its ill effect upon sir sedley but as she always thought herself in the wrong and regarded him as injured every effort was accompanied with a timidity that gave to every change a new charm rather than any repulsive quality 
in this state of total self-disapprobation to return to etherington was her only wish and to pass the intermediate time with mrs burlington became her sole pleasure but she was forced again into public to avoid an almost single intercourse with sir sedley in meeting again with edgar she saw him openly delighted at her sight but without the least apparent solicitude or notice that the young baronet had passed almost the whole of the interval upon mount pleasant this was instantly noticed and instantly commented upon by mrs alberry who again and strongly pointed out to camilla that to save her youth from being wasted by fruitless expectation she must forget young mandelbear and study only her own amusement Camilla dissented not from the opinion, but the doctrine to which it was easy to agree. It was difficult to put in practice, and her ardent mind believed itself fettered forever, and forever unhappy. End of chapter 12